Gmar Chatima Tova, a good inscription in the Book of Life. So as we shared on Rosh Hashanah, this is sort of a continuation of that conversation, that drasha from Rosh Hashanah, to talk about the things that we can't get rid of, but we can't keep. On Rosh Hashanah, we visited these uh, Confederate statues of the South of Robert E. Lee. Um, these relics of Jim Crow that tell a story as these matzevot and altars of Deuteronomy do. That if we want to build a common vision of what it is who we're going to be as an American people, we can't worship at the places that make sacred our divisions. We have to tear them down. Well, what do we do with these things? Is there any redemption for these things? We can't keep them up, but do we throw them away? What do we do with them? Well, I'm going to talk about something a, real, a little related, sort of. I didn't bring any Confederate statues, but I brought this. This is Bugsy, the stuffed dog that I promised from Rosh Hashanah. It's what the little tag around his neck says. He was given to me when I was 17, um, but he's easily 20, 25, 30 years older than I am, actually. My Aunt Cindy, my mom's sister, gave me Bugsy when I first got into college. I got an early decision letter saying I'd be going to Duke University. And so Aunt Cindy gave me this little stuffed dog. I don't know if you can see, he's in the colors of Duke University, and he's got this great big D on the side of him, <laughs> kind of thing that I guess you'd buy from student stores back in the day. The reason Aunt Cindy gave it to me was that her cousin Jeff gave Bugsy to her when she was just a teenager, and he got into Duke back in the 60s. It means that Jeffrey is actually my cousin once removed. I had to Google it to figure out exactly, but Jeffrey was a, uh, he was a pediatric oncologist. He worked with children who had cancer. He was also struggling with his own illness and the sadness and the struggle of this job that he had of serving and caring for these children who oftentimes did not get better. It ate him up. Jeffrey committed suicide before I was even born. And so Aunt Cindy kept Bugsy here. She didn't know what to do with Bugsy. She's a grown woman with this little stuffed animal given to her when she was a young teenager. Came from Jeff, who died, and so after he died, she kept him, and she held on to him. And then when I got into Duke, she said, here, congratulations, Mazel Tov on college, uh, and she gave Bugsy to me. I was 17 at the time, and believe me, I had no idea what to do with Bugsy either. It's like on one hand, this is something really joyous, getting into college. I mean, I'm looking at my high school seniors around the room, the people who are part of this college search right now. It's a joyous thing. It's momentous, you know? It's huge. It's this culmination of all of that academic struggle. And then on the other hand, here's Bugsy. Here's this token from this relative of mine who died in tragic circumstances, trying to care for children when his illness claimed him. And as a 17-year-old, surprise, surprise, I would just as soon not uh, want to reflect on suicide and on these darknesses that can befall us in the journey ahead. See, not only did I not ever know Jeffrey, I didn't even know about him, actually. I didn't know his story. I didn't know any of that until Bugsy here. It was dark and it was foreboding to me. It was this family who had gone to that same school that I did because of Duke. She said, oh yeah, you should have this thing. Um, and he died just barely older than I am today, I came to find out. 
in a moment that on the surface was about celebrating successes, there's something, there's something pained, there's something tortured within this little blue stuffed animal that you see up here. Bugsy speaks to me, in fact, about some of those darknesses. It's a talisman of the kind of pain that people can suffer. How mental illness can collide with some of that pain and brokenness and can take a life. So in the wake of Jeffrey's death, what do you do with the stuffed animal he gave as a gift? What do you do with little Bugsy here? Mishnah Bava Metziah 1.8 deals in legal matters. This is some legal text within Judaism. And it talks, to do, it talks about what you do with documents and with, uh, with artifacts that don't belong to you, but they're not yours to get rid of. And you can't keep them, but you can't sell them, and you're not supposed to use them yourself either. What do you do with something like this? What do you do with an artifact like Bugsy here? You're actually supposed to keep it and you're supposed to retain it and hold on to it until Eliyahu Hanavi comes, Elijah the prophet. <laughs> That's what this legal tractate says you should do with something like this. Hold on to it until Elijah comes. <laughs> Maybe don't hold your breath though while you're doing it. Who is Elijah? And what does he have to do with this? What's, what's the deal with all of that? Well, Elijah is kind of remarkable. Elijah comes to us in the Hebrew Bible. We have all of these stories of Elijah and unlike, well, everyone else in the Hebrew Bible, Elijah doesn't die. He never dies. He ascends to heaven in a fiery chariot, but he does not die. And so then, he keeps coming back down. For the rabbis, he serves as this sort of mediating voice between their world and between God. Those of you who have gotten the chance to learn Talmud with me know that he actually comes and he visits the rabbis and he talks to them and they have these conversations, this sort of back and forth. If you recall this space... Last year, I recall telling a story about Rabbi Yossi encountering Elijah and them having a whole conversation about praying in the ruins of Jerusalem. And then centuries later, the central texts that established Kabbalah, that established mysticism, they do that as just a conversation. It's just, just riffing back and forth between Shimon bar Yochai, a second century rabbi, and Elijah. They just sort of play off of each other and that becomes Jewish mysticism as we have it today. And Elijah keeps visiting us, even into this time, at the bris of a baby boy. There's traditionally this Elijah's chair that some honored relative would sit in. This idea that when you're entering a new baby into the covenant, that Elijah is there and present in that moment as well. And if your upbringing was anything like mine, you open the door to Elijah during your Passover Seder with a cup out for him. And if your family was like mine, your grandfather quickly, uh, surreptitiously slugged back the Manischewitz when you weren't looking. And then all the parents say, see, look, Elijah came and visited. Isn't that great? Took me years to catch him, in fact. And I understand that if you're an Israeli, Elijah might come to your Seder in the form of an uncle or some male relative with a fake beard, bringing presents and toys for all the children. I've seen this actually from an Israeli shaliach when I, back when I worked for Hillel. The thing is, my rabbi from my shul back in Durham that I spoke of, Steve Sager teaches that if you pay attention in this world that we live in, you might actually encounter Elijah yourself in the coincidences, the serendipity, the stranger that shows up to help you in just the right moment, that if you keep your eye out in this world, you can actually experience a hint of that, a sleal, just a little bit of repair that Elijah brings to our world.
So back to Bugsy here. I don't totally know why Aunt Cindy gave Bugsy to me after Jeffrey died. I suspect what wasn't named was that same understanding that we get from Bava Metzia, that you can't throw this thing out, but you can't keep it. You need something to do with it. There has to be some kind of returning it or revaluing it or a redemption for it, that you hold on to it for some tiny redemption in this world. So when I got into Duke, my deceased cousin's alma mater, there was the Elijah moment for my Aunt Cindy. Suddenly, I could actually redeem this thing for her. And then it was my problem. What do I do with Bugsy? How do I reconcile this beautiful, adorable little stuffed dog here, but what do I do with that? It's not mine. I don't feel like I can keep it, but I also can't get rid of it. can't sell it on eBay. So I put him on the nightstand in my childhood bedroom in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I went away for college. Bugsy stayed in that room in my mom's house, even though I never again lived there. In some ways, his very presence was overwhelming to me. I didn't want to take him to college with me. I didn't want this to sort of be marking the beginning of this new journey. I didn't feel like I could do that. So I left him there. But when I first read Mission of Bava Metzia, while studying Elijah and the small redemptions that can take place in the world, I realized I needed to go back and get Bugsy. So I flew back to North Carolina last summer to reclaim him and take him with me to L.A. He's here with us in this room today because I realized that he had something for this space of the high holidays. And the thing is, it's not just me and it's not just Bugsy here that this in some ways is the story of Yom Kippur. Every one of us has a little stuffed dog. Every one of us has artifacts and pieces from family that we're not sure what to do with and how we carry on with it, that we can't quite get rid of it and we can't quite keep it either. Those pieces of ourselves that are stuck. And it's not just physical talismans either. We have these pieces of ourselves that are unfinished deep in our souls. We're all looking to some kind of small redemption in this space. So this takes me to uh, tshuva. It's the work of Yom Kippur, tshuva. That you, get it, you see it translated as, uh, as repentance, as atonement. The Day of Atonement, sure, why not? Um, but this only reinforces to me why tshuva is not repentance. As I mentioned earlier, tshuva, the root of it, tshuv, is to turn, to return. But tshuva is actually, I think, it's also redemption of sorts. It's to redeem those pieces of ourselves that are unfinished, unresolved, maybe even unloved, but they're uncompleted. Now, what is redemption? Redemption, getulah in Hebrew. That's a huge word. And I think there's actually a trap in redemption. And it's a trap that we can fall into with Yom Kippur as well if we're not careful. See, Elijah is actually connected to Messianism within Judaism. Elijah is supposed to, need, supposed to uh, accompany Mashiach ben David, the coming of the Messiah, when he, return, when he comes to this world. And so one way of reading Mishnah, which people laughed at at the beginning, rightly so, is that when the rabbis say, wait for Elijah to come, to help you sort out what to do with that stuff, that that's shorthand for saying, don't hold your breath. Maybe don't wait so long. 
And in some ways, that's the trap of Yom Kippur. Again, it's too big. It's too much. I mean, really, you're going to apologize for everything you've done wrong over an entire year to everyone in your whole life and then to a God that you may or may not believe in, who you may or may not think is listening to affect some kind of grand cosmic return in the world to be inscribed in the cosmic book of life and therefore affect a grand redemption for the Jewish people. It's a lot. Maybe it's even too much. Maybe it's a little bit like Viat HaMashiach, the coming of the Messiah. Don't hold your breath. And this is why it's a trap, I say. This is why we have to understand Elijah and Yom Kippur and redemption differently. I want to play with that word itself, though, redemption, to redeem. This time of year, we're doing all of the returning, the repenting, but redeeming, strip it of its prefix and it's just to deem. To deem something is to think about it, to consider it, reflect on it. That doesn't sound as intimidating to me as the cosmic book of life and the redemption of the entire Jewish people, if you think about it. Maybe redemption, redeeming, can be a little bit smaller. Maybe it is about finding a new perspective on these pieces of ourselves, these artifacts, these stuffed dogs that we carry that we're not totally sure how to continue to carry them, what to do with them. We have all of this stuff, it's in our souls, it's in ourselves. It's connected to our journeys. It's the things that keep us up at night. The parts of ourselves that we don't know how to face, let alone love. But thank God we're not alone in it. We're not alone in it. Return to what Rabbi Sager teaches about Elijah. Elijah is present with us in this world. The small acts of kindness, of love, of serendipity, the stranger who helps us out, that's Elijah. It's Elijah not as the escort of Mashiach ben David, the coming of the Messiah, Elijah's, when you're stuck at the parking gate, because your parking validation only covered an hour and a half, and you've been there for an hour and 45, and you owe them $2, and you don't have any cash on you, and so you're going to have to repark and go to an ATM and go sort this out. And then Elijah comes, and Elijah's the stranger that shows up and says, hey, I got two bucks, here you go. Say, oh my gosh, thank you so much, I was going to have to go back, and I was going to have to find an ATM and get out cash to take care of this $2 because I was here for 15 minutes longer than I should have for the validation. And Elijah says, don't worry about it. It's cool. It's okay. It's a tiny little sliver of redemption in the world. A tiny little hint of redeeming that we can experience. Elijah is the invitation to view objects or those parts of ourselves or people we love in a new light. It's an invitation in this sense. Yom Kippur is an invitation in this sense to be open to that Elijah figure, to be open to that Elijah moment in our own lives. That's the work of the High Holidays. It's not impossibly large. It's not way out there. It's not Viata Mashiach. It's not the coming of the Messiah. But it's in here. It's in the small kinds of redemptions, the little acts of giving, of redeeming, of changing our perspective, of learning to view and to hold and to love and to care for one another in slight imperceptible new ways which we hadn't seen over the past year. It's learning to fix and to hold with some Rahmanis, with some compassion, those pieces of ourselves that we have such a hard time with, those pieces that are unfinished or broken or difficult to love. We do that for ourselves. We do that for others. I redeemed Bugsy here 
from a relative who still in some ways is mourning Jeffrey's death. Am I taking it here, putting it on the bema, and letting it speak to little redemptions that we can all experience in the world? I think it has its own little redemption perhaps for itself. It's not the cosmic one. It doesn't rectify or make sense of Jeffrey's death. There's nothing I can do to bring Jeffrey back to the world of the living. I will never meet him and I will never know him. But maybe little Bugsy here can demonstrate something about what we do with ourselves and with others. A small redeeming, a new connection. It's the project of this time. And it's not easy. That's the thing about Elijah. He's notoriously tricky to the rabbis. He doesn't come when you command it. He doesn't come, you don't demand Elijah show up right now. Nothing. But he does come if you're aware and if you're paying attention, if you're listening. It requires some real, uh, some spiritual discipline. It requires a little bit of discernment. You can't force it. You have to find an even spirituality between searching and receiving. And it's demanding. It demands our attention to see those moments when we can be Elijah for someone else in the journey. When we can pay the $2 in parking fees. Don't worry about the coming of the Messiah. Elijah, Eliyahu Hanavi, the original, can worry about that. But maybe we can pay two bucks to help someone else who's stuck behind that gate. It takes discipline, that kind of redemption, that kind of redeeming, to redeem, to imagine anew those pieces of ourselves. Helping others carry it. Allowing and receiving others to help you carry it. To admit, to say something when you need help. So Bugsy now lives in my office. It's a little reminder of, yes, this cousin who I never met. Zichrono Livracha, may his memory be for a blessing. But I also would suggest in some ways that his memory is for a blessing in the work he did, treating pediatric cancer. Even though he died far too young and I never knew him. But his memory lives on in this little talisman. As does that redemption and that act of redeeming the small things to go out, to go forth and do in the world. Searching and receiving of Elijah in our own time and what it means to serve as Elijah for someone else who's in need. So on this, the holiest day of the year, when Sha'are Shemaim, the gates are open, maybe don't worry about Viat HaMashiach, the coming of the Messiah, the cosmic tshuva of the book of life and the redemption of all of the Jewish people. Go forth and do small things. Perform small kindnesses. Redeem for others, for those who are in need, those who can use that helping hand. Let Elijah the prophet worry about the grand redemption. And between now and Ne'ilah, when the gates finally close later this afternoon, spend a little bit of time examining what needs redeeming for you. What needs those little acts of redemption? What needs reimagining and rethinking and reworking for yourself? And maybe how you can be part of that redeeming and that redemption for other people. What stuffed dog do you have? What documents or artifacts do you have from family from before? Which are the pieces in your soul that you're really trying hard to reconcile? Those are the questions for us to wrestle with between now and the closing of the gates at Ne'ilah. So let us go forth and in the meantime and perform those little acts of redemption 
in our world. Gemar Chatimatova, Shana Tova.